0: Welcome back to another episode of the China Research Group's Talks on China. I'm Alicia Kearns and I'll be your host for this episode. This week, I am overjoyed that we're joined by Charlie Parton to talk all about China's United Front Work Department. Now, Charlie has over 30 years' expertise as a diplomat and honestly, I think he's one of the great thinkers of our time on all things China. Um, So it is such a joy to have him here with us. So getting straight into it, Charlie, United Front Work Department, is it an intelligence organisation? The yeah, answer to that is
1: yes and no, or rather, no and yes. I mean, it isn't in the sense that it's not like the KGB or the Minister of State Security, China's Minister of State Security. Um, but then I think you've got to look at intelligence in China in a much wider context. It's an in, an intelligence state, and intelligence isn't just you know a classified document from from the Minister of Defense or whatever. Uh, you could do a lot of harm to a country by getting hold of its scientific secrets, for instance, or or, or, or influencing its politicians. And in that sense. Um, it has intelligence functions. I mean, it would be acting in many ways as a front forward radar for whether it's the military intelligence or the civilian intelligence in spotting the people who might be of interest to it uh, and and uh, whether they're scientific people or, techn- technology or not technological people or whatever. So yes, in that sense, um, uh, I think it's certainly because intelligence in the Chinese context is such a broader concept in yes. any way that uh, it is helping them hold of information which harms us.
0: So in terms of that information they're getting, you know, what are they trying to achieve? What's the strategic goal of having such an enormous department?
1: Well, um, we can talk about this, but first, first of all, it's much more domestically focused than, than externally in focus. Um, and so I, I, I like to talk more about the United Front strategy than the actual department, because China's all quite right to say, but that's mainly domestically focused. But as China has globalised, clearly, um, the, the the sort of tools and organisations that it uses have also gone global. And so, if I if I were to put the United Front strategy in, in in a couple of sentences, it is to you under the United Front strategy, you identify the main enemy and you move other people from a position of either hostility to yourself and friendliness to being a friend of the main enemy to a neutral stage, or from the neutral stage to being uh, on on the side of the Chinese Communist Party. That's what it's always been, and in the early days, the Communist Party's main enemy was the Down, the KMT. Uh, but if you look at it in a in, in terms of the foreign and foreign affairs, well, the main enemy is America, and we, the UK, are very close to the Americans. So we need to be moved to the neutral stage from the pro-American, thing, and then finally to the pro-Chinese. And that's so. In, in essence, that's what the United Front strategy is about: trying to move people onto the on, onto the side of the Communist Party.
0: So beyond neutralising the UK, though the number one enemy to the Chinese Communist Party, though still, is those internal threats, those internal dissidents. Surely, so does that then take it back to essentially being a domestic-focused organisation, all about keeping the Chinese Communist Party in power and dealing with those threats of unrest? Or am I misjudging it?
1: No, I think I think that's absolutely right because these threats to the Communist Party, of course, they they can be for externally abroad, but they they are mainly uh, perceived to be. Uh, at home, because that's that's where the party holds power. So uh, you're absolutely right in emphasising that the main aim of the Chinese Communist Party is to stay in power. It needs for that it needs stability, uh, and it uh, in in as the united front work once domestic job is to keep those elements which aren't thoroughly Chinese Communist Party on the side of the Chinese Communist Party. So whether that's that's you know entrepreneurs or uh, the so-called eight democratic parties or intellectuals ethnic
0: minorities, ethnic minorities religious parties religious, social classes
1: religious new social classes now yeah. they've got a department for all those uh, and they've taken over the 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 uh, uh they've been in the strengthening that Xi Jinping has done since 2015. they've taken direct control of all those elements which you've just raised
0: i i think it's important to delve back into that so I think many people won't realise, many people have thought about how the Chinese Communist Party might feel threatened by some of these groups, but they won't necessarily realise that there are actual bureaus within the front to deal with religious people, non-public economic entities, non-party persons, democratic parties, you know, new social classes, students studying abroad. So just before we move on to the threat to the UK or how it works in the UK, is there anything more about those bureaus and how it works domestically that you think we should really be trying to understand better?
1: Well, there are 12 of them. Um, and now, and they cover um, many of the things that you you talked about: the ethnic minorities, the intellectuals, you know, people what they call non-party persons, people who are big in society, in, in influences. Um, but also those with connections abroad, the overseas Chinese community, uh, Hong Kong, longers people associated with Hong Kong or on Taiwan, etc., etc. And the other thing is just to mention is the enormous size in the United Front work in the sense that. It controls what they call the Chinese People's Political Consultative Conference. This is uh, at all levels of the Chinese government. There are five levels. Okay, It's not at the very small, but the lowest one, but but national, provincial, city, and and county level. And this body uh, is a consultative body, which the party actually uses to take the temperature, get suggestions, proposals, which generally in our society that comes often through civil society or pressure through our MPs or whatever, uh, that's, that's not available in their system. But that that whole system of the People's Political Consultative Conference numbers around about 620,000 people. Wow. Uh, that's how extensive, in a sense, that the United Front, quite apart from the officials working in the office, as it were, uh, that's how extensive
0: the whole system is. Wow. So looking at that system, so you've talked about how you know, the US externally is kind of threat number one. Um, and how it's all about moving, you know, potential threats or others from, you know, either ideally neutral to positive and friendly, or at least negative to neutral. So specifically, how is it doing that here in the UK? You know, what are the ways in which it's operating here on UK soil?
1: I don't think it's particularly different from the UK from from elsewhere. So there's there's a playbook, um, and 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 you know elements of it, the United Front work manuals, of which I have several copies on my shelves. Uh poor, poor guy.
0: Uh, I mean, how often do these playbooks come out?
1: Well, actually, um the most recent one I've I have, I think, is from 2013. They're not um they're no longer as available as they, they used to. Well, I can imagine they're not. Um but the first port of call is the overseas Chinese community, because as 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 the manual said, these are the people who can act as a bridge because they understand both societies. So the the, the first call is to bring onside the overseas Chinese community. And so you'll find um, you know, whether it's some of the Chinese associations uh, which are linked to provinces, Zhejiang Association, mm-hmm. or societies which go under the name of peaceful reunification of, I don't know, I was, yeah, but, but, but basically, basically of Taiwan with the, with the, with the motherland. Yeah. Um, they want to make sure that they control those. They want to make sure that they control Chinese language media, but broadly than I am, to to make sure that they influence control uh, our, our border media. They want to um, ensure that um, our business community sees everything through a lens that's much more favorable to protecting China's interests, perhaps sometimes one feels, than our own, uh, or um, lobbying our politicians to make sure that they uh, don't pass.
0: Never heard of uh, such a thing, Chance.
1: Legislation, which is not helpful. Yeah. Uh, uh, or, or, or say things, make statements that's not, because it's very important to them to. To change the whole discourse about China and yeah. uh, and, and make it much more about um, you know values which the Chinese Communist Party can.
0: And on yeah. that point, so this is I would say that there are not that many countries. No country particularly likes it when the House of Parliament are criticising their country. Obviously, but with China, it does seem that they're I don't want to say they're thin-skinned, but you know they're even more concerned. Even if there's even the slightest kind of flicker of criticism or um, you know they really do seem to be. We you know we see an increased level of attacks on our Twitter accounts and on our emails whenever there's an upcoming debate on China in any way, sense of form coming up in Parliament. You know, why is China so interested and concerned about what we're saying in the hallowed corridors of Parliament? Well, a number, a
1: number of reasons. I mean, firstly, uh, all this is played back into China. I mean, the the, the first audience for any Chinese propaganda or uh, etc is the domestic audience. Uh, it, to convince its own people of China's Tower Spikers doing a great job and, and respect for it externally uh is it, it, is is rising. But also I just think that the the relentlessness of it, um the ubiquity of it, uh does does wear people down. I mean the message gets out. Uh, and people that those voices which are saying, Well, hold on a second, is this in the UK's interest or is 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 this true or is it verifiable? Um, simply just get overwhelmed. I think there's, there's there's a lot of that. And there's also a certain amount, to be fra- quite frank, particularly with the Chinese official community, of the need to show their bosses back in Beijing that well, they are um, fighting the good fights.
0: That's interesting. And in terms of, you know, obviously we're touching on Parliament because we're sat here overlooking it. But actually, they're not just interested in Parliament, are they? I mean, you've talked publicly before about what you call Potemkin visits, Mm. and, you know, interest in kind of getting local mayors involved, you know, the debates that take place on universities, all the way through to the social media discussion. So again, this is all of state, all of society in the same way as it is back in China.
1: I think it's a very important point because they do put an awful lot of effort in in getting at the localities. So, uh, you know, in our country, Northern Ireland, Cardiff, Edinburgh, Manchester, Wherever, um, just as in the states, that they make a lot of effort to get down to the state level, because on the whole, in the centre and the capitals, people are a little bit more aware, and the guard might be uh, a little higher. But often uh, uh, elsewhere outside the sort of concentration of knowledge on China, to the extent that we we have, and we certainly don't have enough, those sorts of the sorts of things that they're saying doing pass under the radar, and 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 of course, you know color is extremely important they've got big budgets so they, they can uh if if we in the center are saying it's very very unwise to use a chinese cellular module in whatever kit or whatever um an obsession of mine but but out out, out there the message isn't going out as hard as, as, as absolutely. Yeah.
0: and that's exactly why you know we will have you back on talk about cellular modules but that's exactly why you and i work so hard on our procurement bill to make sure we got a new model of how we would essentially put national security into procurement because we recognized the Chinese weren't just targeting large central government contracts, but also local ones.
1: Correct. Yes.
0: And so, but some people listening might be saying, well, this is all great. You know, you're just obsessed with China, Alicia, you know, trying to influence countries, trying to influence debates in parliament, trying to, you know, improve the perception of your country within another country, potentially even going so far as to make your country. Uh, control its uh, nationals abroad. This is nothing new, Alicia. You know, you just want to make it look like it's really bad. In terms of how effective the Chinese have been with this influence, when does it steer into interference? And are there examples of where they have interfered and been a threat to the UK?
1: Yeah, I, I think this distinction between influence and interference is, is, is an important one. And too often people muddle up those words. I mean, interference, it's what we call public diplomacy. Sorry, influence. Now I'm muddling it up. Uh, influence is public diplomacy, and and all countries do that, and we try to influence our other people. Where it goes into interference is, is is what might be called the three C's, and this was the Australian Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull's definition of 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 covert, coercive, and corrupting, uh, and and that's where I think that we, we we have to draw the line. It is it is it it is a, it is a spectrum, but I, I suppose you know the glib answer would be, well, they wouldn't put so much effort into it if they didn't think it was was worthwhile. Mm. Um, and again, I, I go back to what I said earlier on, it's it's not just the extreme men or classified documents or the state secrets that, that can really do us damage. It's it's the, put it in a very generalized way, the the unwillingness to stand up for our own interests and protect our own interests and values, which is ultimately, in the longer term, harder to spot, but probably more more deleterious and 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 one of the areas that I go back to, and you might say, well, is this a deference or not, or is it? Should we put some other adjective, or you know, word in there? Is it's the science and technology Upstairs. area, which I think is the biggest threat to us, mm-hmm. um, but both in terms of um, what we're losing, but also the reinforcing of a of a hostile state. And let's, let's be frank: either their military capability or their repressive capability and then the dependencies which by using that technology or indeed becoming wholly dependent on it uh, we, we put ourselves in, in a very dangerous position so this term interference i think needs to be interpreted quite Absolutely. broadly just as the nature of the threat is, is very good
0: i think you've made two really interesting points there so first around that point about understanding and what espionage is people often think it's you know from the james bond movies it is stealing the suitcase full of nuclear codes uh, or it's stealing scientific technology, both of which the Chinese would obviously happily do. But actually, from my experience, quite often the Chinese are just desperately trying to understand how the British system works. You know they fundamentally don't understand that the UK judiciary is independent of government. You know they struggle to understand how our society differs. So actually sometimes where we might not think it's significant, actually, that color about how we work, how we operate matters as well as obviously relationships and everything else. And then to your second point about technology, This is something that is so key because, as you say, if we are dependent at home on, whether it be Huawei, Hikvision, Dahua, cellular IoT modules, which, again, we will get you back on to talk about. If we are dependent on them at home, we are essentially neutered internationally in our ability to restrain or present the worst excesses of the Chinese Communist Party's hostile attack.
1: That's true, but if I were just to take you up on the first point, I mean, I'm all for the Chinese understanding thoroughly how our systems work,
0: and ditto and, us understanding and, them,
1: and, understanding our values mm. and, and everything else. So I, I, I'd happily sit and explain to them ours, like um, whether of course
0: offer the, there. Please take it up if yes, you're listening.
1: But 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 that's not the point. I mean, the point is it's it's the coercive, covert, or, or corrupting nature of it, and yeah. so you know, I mean, Christine Lee was 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 was, was as a case that that hit hit the uh, the press, you know. Has Christine Lee thoroughly undermined our democracy or, you know, is she a Chinese agent? Uh, I'll, pass, I'll pass on that. All I will say is that there's uh, uh, an, someone who might be described, well, there's two types of, of agents that I would say would be very useful to the Chinese. One is able to explain to them, you know, all about parliament in the sense of who are the people that you should be targeting, who your intelligence services or, 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 or you know, really trying to get on your side um lobby hard in order to to do things covertly that, that will, will push your interests, you know, who's first of all you need to, to set out who's who in parliament, yeah. who might be vulnerable, you know, um or or, or 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 takes money or or whatever. These sorts of things are very important. And and the thing about Christine Lee which which I thought was, was interesting is that the security services um laid it out, then gets us the detail of course, but that the money that she was putting forward a half a million pounds—that's not inconsiderable for one person to 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 to, to put in their pocket—is, uh, you know, came from Beijing. Yeah. ultimately, I think that's that's quite important.
0: And I think that that point around self-censoring and the ability they're having, whether it be on you know campuses across our universities, or whether it be, for example, in Parliament. Um, another thing you've talked about publicly is the Dalai Lama test. Do you want to explain that to us?
1: Well. Yes, so so when when we come to to the uh, to our acad- academia and the, and the importance of academic freedom and freedom of speech, uh, I mean there have been a number of cases and um, there was a program on television, Dispatches, which um Nottingham university came, which we
0: spoke about on our last podcast. Yeah,
1: well, quite, and so you should, so you should. I mean, there there is an element of of um, interference in, in academic freedom and freedom of speech, and uh, people say to me, oh, but you're exaggerating, Charlie." I mean. Yeah, we we can say what we like. Yeah. To, to to which I say, just go onto uh, you know a university campus, just let a, a university invite the Dalai Lama to speak and and see what happens. Uh, that's the Dalai Lama test. So there will be massive out, outcry, and that's if if the university authorities even permit it to go ahead. <laughs> and that was even, part of the point.
0: Steve Sang was tossed into a cell. Yeah,
1: like in, in in perhaps less less dramatic cases than the, the Dalai Lama, but. But you just take it to the extreme in order to make the point.
0: And actually, the Dalai Lama test almost applies to you know politics as well. If you remember, obviously, David Cameron and the Dalai Lama.
1: certainly does. Um, and of course, we, we, the UK, went into the diplomatic doghouse for several we did. years. Uh, let me just point out that during those years in the doghouse, our exports to China rose. They fell in the years of the golden era, 2016-17, which makes my point that it's actually these things aren't necessarily political. Trade can go on even if you quarrel.
0: So, on that, in terms of quarrelling, how do we make sure this doesn't become a quarrel? That we can work with China where we need to, that we don't end up in a new cold war as people want. And essentially, in terms of doing that, then how do we deal with the interference? What are the sensible things we can be doing to protect ourselves? Mm. Well, I, I guess the
1: first thing which I always go to is: you need to be clear about what's going on in China. You need a strategy. Uh, you, you really need to. Got agreement across all government departments because China um, interferes or not interferes is relevant to all government departments, Uh, and and that strategy needs to be communicated not just within government but to business, to academia, uh, throughout society. If you're clear where you're going, what you're trying to uh, protect, protect, and the Chinese are clear, then I think there's much less room for this hazy, shady, shady world of interference. But if I were to put it into sort of five, succinct words, um, I, I'd say, well, knowledge, you know, awareness, yep. increase awareness. Well, we always say that. Um, one of the weapons democracies have is transparency. Talk about it, shout about it. Um, China sometimes hate that, um, but, but make things clear. And you know, the British government made things much more transparent. And um, so, you know, that took me on to publicity, I think I said that unity. Both within government, but also with other governments? are we standing um with um Europeans, Americans,
0: Lithuania, for example?
1: Lithuania, Japanese, Indians. Uh, I think there's a lot there. And reciprocity, we always seem to sort of think,, oh, well, we can't do that because the Chinese will joke, but hold on, the Chinese do that. I mean we 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 people like me say there are certain elements of technology which we must keep out. and they and and then, but the, and the Chinese do exactly the same. They keep the Western ones out. And so I think we've got to be clever with our reciprocity. I mean, when China says, well, it does not say, but when it bans or doesn't issue visas to our journalists, well, we do the same. So when the BBC and, and the FT couldn't get their journalists in, we quietly don't give any more visas to Xinhua and CGTN, who have far more to see. And when the Chinese ambassador complains to the Foreign Office, the Foreign Office should say, Absolutely. That's appalling. I shall, I, shall, I shall look into it. And by the way, might you look into to, to the FT and the BBC problems and you just hang on until they get the point? Absolutely. So reciprocity, reciprocity. needs imagination because it mustn't prejudice our this.
0: And so, and so two further questions on those five. So knowledge, transparency, publicity, unity and reciprocity. One of the big questions, and I think this goes to probably all five of them, is the Chinese strategy. Do we have a strategy on China, which you touched on? The government says that they have one at top secret. I think people are probably tired of hearing me say that we need to have one at official, sensitive, or some kind of public level. What's your view on where we are in terms of having a cohesive trial strategy and, and why it's so important?
1: Well, your Foreign Affairs Committee, before you were chair of it, but when Tom Tugendhat was in the report that came out, um, it was April 2019, said there is no strategy then needs to be one. The, the um Parliament's Intel and Sc- Intelligence Security Committee report, um. Which, which came out quite recently, but was done before, said exactly the same. I think we, we've all been saying that. Um, what is the point of a strategy if no one can read it? I mean, if it really is, there is if there really does exist strategy at secret level, what percentage of officials are actually cleared to read secret? I have no idea, but I think it would be less than, than 5%. It's not much use uh, if nobody knows what it is, and it's not much use if the Chinese I don't know what it is. Sure, there will be elements of it that have to, have to be be, be be kept secret, but I would say as as as, as small as, as possible, and then you don't have the sorts of problems that we had. Most obvious example of being Huawei. Yeah, I mean, you had arguments between the so-called security ministers versus the so-called economic ministers who had, we'll do this, we'll do that, we won't do that, and eventually, um, well, if you actually have a clear strategy, that shouldn't happen.
0: Absolutely, and then a final one for me. So, in dealing with the United Front Worker, Work Work Department. How do we deal with their agents on the ground? How do we deal with, deal with hostile interference? You know, what are the mechanics that we have not put in place that are currently making us vulnerable? So
1: this question of interference, um, you know, there's, there's a spectrum from the very sharp end of espionage and, and cyber attacks through to to um, uh, other elements from which I which I talked about in various various papers. Whether that's you know, controlling what Chinese students say on our campuses, for instance, which affects our freedom of speech or, or, or some of the dubious lobbyings in, in Ireland. Uh, and, and it it is a side problem because certainly hitherto, for instance, our security service very much is um, drawn up to face a KGB, yeah. GRU, Russian-type threat, and that's still relevant in terms of China.
0: Although it's not illegal to be an MSS agent in the UK. It, it is now. It is now, yeah. It wasn't...
1: Um, until the National Security Act was passed yeah. in August, I think, wasn't it? It was. Um, quite, quite extraordinary. Exactly. Uh, so, uh, you know, we need to rethink uh, how you combat this and, and which agency does it. Um, I mean, there, there is an organization called the Joint States Threat Assessment Team. It's located in the uh, security service. Nobody's heard of it. It was founded in 2017. I think there's been one government sort of piece that came out briefly sketching who it was. Well, that goes back to the you know the point of transparency and publicity. Make a noise about this. Things. How are we as a society meant to you know raise our awareness and and, and deal with do the fact if the government
0: doesn't talk about? it? Although obviously the Chinese hate when we criticize the public. You know, you often hear. Oh, I think one of the things the Chinese government likes to say about me is, oh, she's very critical publicly, as if it would be okay for me to be critical in private. But, you know, publicly, we will have to be smiles and unicorns. How do, I think politicians do struggle with that balance. So final word from you, how do we make sure we land the messages that matter with China? And should we be letting them dictate those terms that we can only be critical of them in private?
1: Oh, we really shouldn't be just critical in private. Uh, that goes back to what you're talking about in terms of strategy. If there's a clear strategy, we are protecting our values, our interests, our national security, as we're entitled to, and just as, just as you do. Uh, and we will, oh uh, China, call them out when you transgress or, or, or when we feel that we're threatened, just as you do. I mean, look, you only have to read, I, I spend my life reading some of the Chinese um, propaganda that, that comes out of what the party puts out. It's full of accusations. Uh, and as you rightly say, the moment we express the mildest criticism, the Chinese embassy will, 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 will be out with a ton of.
0: Um, I think what, one of the most uh, rec- my the, favorite phrases was, no good end comes to troublemakers, which they lobbied at an MP.
1: Yes. Well, I, I think probably Lord Patton, when he was the was, mm. governor of Hong Kong, got, got the, um, the final accolade of being a whore for a thousand years and the triple violator. But uh, uh, all that's very colorful. But I think we should um, not be afraid to speak out. And it's interesting, for instance, you take the Philippines now in their arguments in the South China Sea with China encroaching upon, upon the us. They've clearly taken the decision to publicize. I think it's quite effective. So you know where they cross our lines, they should expect to be called out loud.
0: So determine our lines and not be scared to defend them both publicly and privately.
1: No, because otherwise, if you, um, I mean, it's the same on a playground. If you oh. don't stand up to a bully, you will get more bullied.
0: Is there anything you'd like to add before we finish?
1: Um, and, and I think that's another reason why a strategy and you know, awareness of what's going on and, and, and clarity of purpose of where we want to be is so important because too often people like me sound as though we're just opposing China and the Chinese Commerce Party for the sake of it. We're not, we're protecting our interests. And we fully realize that we want to work as closely as circumstances permit with the China, whether that's in in trade, you know, investment, global goods, um, global pandemics, climate change, whatever. Um, we're not just putting up our hands and saying, no, we're not talking, uh, but we need to talk on a basis where um, we, it it's it's reciprocal uh and, and it's it's done on openly um and w- without covert coercive or corrupting um united front tactics used against us.
0: Charlie, thank you so much for your time today. It was a pleasure. And join us for a future episode. For example, we'll have the wonderful Benedict Rogers where we're talking about all things to bet.